God that this many men would want to have an intimacy with him in prayer. That is thrilling. I sat up here trembling because I said, Lord, these men, we've come together tonight, and we want you to uh, meet with us. And uh, I don't want to get in your way, Lord, but I tell you, the Lord is wanting to, uh, he's on conquest in our country for men who will dare to let the Lord teach them how to pray. Let's just pray together uh, as we get ready to look in the word for a moment. Father, we bow before you here tonight, and we declare that every one of us in this room need to be enrolled in your school of prayer. Your word says none of us know how to pray as we ought, but you've promised that the Spirit of God that lives in the heart of true believers would teach us the things that pertain to Christ, and nothing, nothing was more obvious and true about our Lord Jesus than he prayed in the days of his flesh. Always, we read, he was alone with you at all times in the morning, in the afternoons, at night. And he was, he was praising and honoring his Father in heaven and learning how to absolutely uh, submit in every way to you as a man who was God in the flesh. The great mystery. Tonight we pray for every home represented in this room. That when we leave this place together as, as men this weekend and go back to our families, they will be able to say, these men have been with Jesus, that our speech will betray us and that we'll go home changed in heart, that the people we work with will sense the difference by the presence of the living God, freed to be who you are within us. We just honor you now. We commit this time to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, help those brothers who don't have a seat to uh, feel comfortable as they can, they can lay down for all I care. Just, Lord, let them have an open heart. Give us open hearts to hear what your Holy Spirit would say to us in this next moment. And we just thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, these last four years, I, I think I've been traveling and preaching for almost 30 years now, but about the last four years for me have been a real learning process. It started about four years ago when uh, we found out that my oldest son had lymphoma, and then my daughter had some serious complications in her life, and, uh, and I was driven to the closet with a brand new brokenness. You ever been there where you don't know how to pray? Then uh, my wife's dad died, and then recently my mother's died, and it just seemed like one thing after another. My friends didn't even want to get close to me because they said maybe it's kind of like Job. You know, they thought it was contagious, but um, it's true. It is contagious because if you pray, Lord, I want to know you. It's what you learn after you know it all that counts. He really wants to teach you how to hear from him and teach me how to hear from him. And I praise him for those nights that all I could do was just lay on the floor in my closet and you felt there was someone else who had come to live inside praying with groanings that couldn't be uttered. Well, maybe that's not where you are in your life, but I'll tell you, no matter where you are, the next step for every one of you guys is for you to learn to know that you're in fellowship and contact with Him. The most important time of your life is the time you spend alone with God. Now, I want to read from Luke chapter 10. Did you all bring your Bible uh, tonight? I hope so, because we want to start with Luke chapter 10, and I want to just read several scriptures there, and I want to take these words in Luke 11, verse 1, but we want to read verse 10, uh, chapter 10 for a moment, beginning in about verse 38. It's a story about two sisters who... Um, open up their home 
and have Jesus and his disciples over for a meal. And it says in uh, Luke 10, 38, Now it came to pass as they were going that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into their house. And uh, she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, if you, if you have a wife like my wife, She's concerned about hospitality. She likes to do it right when special people come over. If Jesus were coming over, I mean, my wife would be nervous about it. And Mary apparently had a very gift of hospitality, and so she's busy in the kitchen, and, uh, and Martha's in the kitchen as well. But look what happens uh, as, as it says, but verse 40, But Martha was cumbered or distracted with much serving. And she came to him and she said, Lord, don't you care? that my sister has left me to serve alone. The key is she left me. See, they were together in the kitchen, but Martha uh, was so busy and so wanting to do it, just everything perfect, that she didn't take time to sit at Jesus' feet and hear his word. And so, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her that she helped me, or tell her to get busy. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are careful or literally distracted and troubled with many things. Could that be said of us, that there are a lot of things that we're doing that are good? I mean, what could be better than preparing a meal for Jesus and his disciples? What could be better than serving the Lord on a tangible, practical level in our church? But you see, Mary knew when to quit. And she went and she sat down at Jesus' feet and she listened because she knew that out of that relationship would come all the power for everything else that she was to do. Martha was distracted with many things. And I think that all of us could say, I'm that way too, Lord. I'm distracted, not by bad things necessarily, that's another issue, but by good things that rob me of the very, very best. And so that's what Jesus says. He says, one thing is needful. And Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. That, that sitting at Jesus' feet and hearing his word. How'd you like to have that written on your tombstone, brother? He sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Well, there's no chapter division in the original. So we go to verse 1 of chapter 11 and write on that same thought of prayer. It came to pass that as the Lord Jesus was praying... In a certain place, when he stopped, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, the Lord Jesus said John was the greatest preacher ever born of women. And I think there you have a key to why. Because before he ever preached, he's a man of prayer. He had a school of prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. You know that's the only thing in the New Testament the disciples ever ask Jesus to teach them that's recorded? I'm sure they ask a lot of other things, but the Holy Spirit said this one here, Lord, teach us to pray. Isn't that interesting? They could have said teach us to preach or teach us to be soul winner, teach us to to serve widows and orphans. That's as pure as you can get. But the one thing that the Holy Spirit recorded, and I think it shows something, Lord, teach us to pray. Doesn't say how to pray. I think most of us in here that are church members or even go to church could probably write a book about how to pray. But you see, that's not what they're saying. Teach us to do what we know how to do. Most of us know how to pray, at least enough to get us into our time alone with God. But you see, it's the doing what we 
No, we need to do. Teach us. We need inspiration, not just information. And tonight, I'm very sure that as we're here, the Lord wants to put it into our heart. It's the most important thing I think He wants to do in any man's life in this room is to give to you a deep and rich and satisfying and effective life of prayer that not only affects your walk as a Christian, but you see, affects your family like Job. Uh, I think it was very interesting. I was planning to say that about Job tonight, that it was because he got alone with God every morning That's the one thing God picked to note about him. Out of everything else, it says he was the best man on earth, but God took the fact that he prayed and interceded for his family every morning. And the devil, it's the best words the devil ever said. I'm sure he was sorry he said that because now we know it, that God, as his his servant Job pled the blood through the offerings over his family, God put a wall around his children, his wife, all that he had so that the devil couldn't even touch him unless it was for a greater glory. It's amazing. It really is. Lord, teach us to pray. So you got to have it settled that uh, He's your Lord. It's not Savior. It's Lord, teach me to pray. He's not just a genie. He's not just a mascot. This, if all I want is to get my needs met, then I need to see more about prayer. If, if, when we get together as a church and pray, if all we want is to, is to have our needs met, then we're still at first base. But see, God wills to do what He wants to do through the church as she, as she prays, as she lays a hold and say, Thy will be done. They take time to listen, take time to discern His Word from the Scripture and say, Lord, I'm available. See, you've got to be available because real prayer is learned not in the classroom. You won't learn to pray here tonight. We're not going to do that. You'll learn when you get alone with him and you learn through mystery. You learn through failure. You learn through time. Uh, you fall in love with someone when you spend time with them and you, and you have eye-to-eye contact. And that's what the Lord wants. The, he wants, more than anything else, quality time with you. Lord, teach us to pray. Why would they ask him that? Because the most conspicuous thing about the Lord Jesus was his prayer life. You think about it in the Word of God. Thirty years he grew up as a commoner and nobody even knew. Even his brothers didn't recognize him. But he had an awesome fellowship with his father. So much so that when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came on him. And the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Great fellowship. Awesome with the father. Then there was three years of ministry and in which he was up a great while before day. Luke says nights he was alone with the Father. In the afternoons he'd go out to a solitary place, Mark says, and, and spend time alone with his Father. He'd leave the crowds to be alone with his Father. And think about this, he didn't have any sins to confess. He didn't have any bad attitudes to overcome in prayer. You say, well, what in the world did he pray about? Well, that's the mystery of prayer. See, that's what it really is all about. He could say, the things I do, they're what my father is doing first. I don't speak a word, but what my father has said at first. There was such an abiding and fellowship and a connection that is like the perfect man being led. That's what he says, as I was sent, so send I you. Now, after three years... Well, people didn't like that. They crucified him for my sins and your sins, buried, raised from the dead, ascended on high, and now for 1,900 plus years, what's he been doing at the right hand of the Father? The Bible says it. 
I wonder if you've ever seen this. What difference has it made in your Christian life that you have a high priest who is alive on the right hand of God the Father Almighty and five bleeding wounds he bears that were received on Calvary and they're pouring out effectual prayers for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? And he wants your prayers to be blended in with his prayers. He wants to teach you and me how to participate in the very praying that he's doing right now. Not just to pray what you think would be nice for God to bless, but to take time from spending time with him and being in the word and letting him show you, this is my will. And you add your little, your little prayers to his much prayers and it ascends up before the Father. And his prayers are always answered. Always answered. So then for those 1,900 plus years, he's been praying. What an emphasis on prayer. Think about it. So how could I, as a Christian, say I'm walking with Jesus? If I can walk, if, if he took me by the hand physically and I walked through my day, could I walk through a day without repeated seasons of real prayer? See, prayer is the instinct of the new nature God gives you as a Christian. But, but see, we, if I'm walking in a hypocritical way, I will never pray alone. Hypocrites never pray alone. We, we don't want to do it because we soon discover who we really are. Nobody can strut in the prayer closet. Lord, teach me to pray. I'm not all the things that I've convinced myself I am. I'm not all the things that my wife thinks I am, my friends. I'm just who you know I am. So that's why, you see, you have to want God to go alone and pray. This is why... See, the problem is not prayerlessness for us. The problem is the lack of desire to pray. See, if we really believed that apart from him we're nothing, then we'd spend repeated times with him in prayer, if we really believed that. But see, we're trying to offer him things and asking him to bless it. So learning to pray tonight begins with really an act of my will, saying, I'm bankrupt. Lord, I don't know how to pray as I ought. And he already wrote that about us. It's our biography. Lord, I want your spirit to teach me to pray on your terms. The Bible says that the spirit helps our infirmities. Our weak, we don't know how to pray as we ought. And so as we get along with him with an open Bible and an open heart and an open heaven, we are changed by the spirit of God into the very thing that in your deepest Christian desire you long to be, Christ-like. He will change you as you do that. Now, I'm not just talking about learning to pray like we do when we go out to eat. We rub our eyebrows and say, Lord, Jesus, bless this food. I'm talking about when you get alone with the Lord. And you know that there's, there's something you can't reach. When my daughter had a hemorrhage at six months and had a one-pound, 15-ounce boy in Mississippi, and there was nothing we could do. She was marooned there. I can tell you that the Lord said, will you do this in prayer? And I remember nights laying there feeling so helpless, unable to do anything at all, but having the sense that as, as a dad laid on his face, as a mom laid on her face, as friends prayed, that God was at work in a dimension that we could never do. So that when it happened, he got all the glory. And it's amazing what can be done if we don't care who gets the glory. So uh, we... We all as Christians, we, if those that are Christians in this room, you know when you were first saved, prayer came naturally. I mean, man, you wanted to pray. You thanked God for everything. And soon your list became so long for prayer requests from people, you were late for prayer meeting because your wheelbarrow broke down with your prayer list. Then you discovered that when you told God what to do, he didn't do it. 
And when you forgot to pray for what people had asked you to pray for, it seemed like he blessed anyway. So maybe you thought, well, maybe I'm to serve the Lord in a more tangible, practical way. And you moved into some area like, like Martha did in the kitchen. Or, or, and they're all good things. They're wonderful things. But you left off the thing that has no substitute. Bible reading will never take the place of prayer. Church attendance will never take the place of prayer. Giving money will never take the place of prayer. Nothing you do as a Christian will ever do in your life what God intended prayer to do. There is a ministry of the Spirit of God in your life and through you that you will never discover apart from real prayer. And the good thing is there's nothing that God wants to do in your life more than to give that to you. It's the most important ingredient in your walk as a man of God. It's the way to strengthen your heart in trials or or temptation, prayer. Watch and pray, said the Lord Jesus, so that you don't fall into temptation. Did you know that's why most preachers that are falling fall in public? It's because they failed in private. Failure starts at the abandonment of the prayer room. And we have a nice outer life. But you see, we miss that secret. The secret of failure might be the failure of secret prayer. The devil doesn't care how many buses you run in your church. He doesn't care how eloquent you are when you talk, as long as he can keep us fighting on a visible, carnal level. But when the weakest Christian in this room, whoever it is, dares to believe God and say, teach me to pray and really get on your knees and listen and wait on the Lord, the devil is absolutely hysterical. I believe he hates prayer more than anything else because he suffered so much from it in the past. Now, there are some men in this room, I have little doubt, that one true night of prayer would change your family forever. A true night of prayer. A true night of prayer. You say, I don't know how to. That's okay. Nobody does. To get alone with God and search the Scriptures and let the Scriptures search you. And listen with all your heart and say, Lord, whatever you say to me is what I want. It's easy to get discouraged when it comes to prayer. Because, there's a see, the devil wants to cut off your supply lines. If he can cut off your supply lines, he can just wait you out. And you will do what it says in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. It says that Jesus gives a parable. He gives a parable about a little widow who had a court case. And she drew a judge that didn't fear God and didn't regard widows or men. And the Lord Jesus gives a parable, and this woman is, she's worked up because she thinks this judge is going to be unfair. And so, she's always out there. The figure in the language is she's out there like shaking a stick at him, like, avenge me of my adversary. Do the right thing. And this judge says, even though I don't fear God and I don't regard men, I'm going to give in to this woman lest she, and the Greek says, like gives me a black eye. And then the Lord says, listen to what the unjust judge said when he's continually accosted. How much more shall the judge of all the earth listen to the cries of his children even though he makes them wait for a while? And Luke 18.1 sums up all of that I just said when the Lord Jesus spoke a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not pray. To faint. Let me tell you something, brothers. I believe it's true in our country. In the days ahead, we'll either do one of two things. 
We'll learn from our Lord Jesus how to pray. And we'll, we'll build a hedge around our family. We'll see the glory of God in many ways. Or, the other hand, we will faint. Now, if I was to faint physically up here and fall flat out on the floor, you could come up here and you could kick me and I wouldn't even do anything about it. I mean, I, I, I couldn't tell. I'm, I've lost touch with my environment. You could come up here and offer me a $100 bill. I wouldn't even blink. I'd, I'd just be passed out. Nothing that normally would affect me affects me because I'm out of in touch with my environment. That's physical fainting. What does it mean to faint spiritually? It means you can sit in church and get nothing out of a message because you're out of touch with the spiritual environment. It means you can go to the airport and walk through it like all the other cattle and not have a burden for any soul that's there. It means that you can just uh, try to read your Bible and it seems dry to you and you just want to give up and you just want to quit. And the Lord says, you're going you're gonna to faint, you're going to fall out, you're going to lose touch. The only way not to do that is to continue in prayer and let the Lord Jesus teach you what you hadn't learned, which is everything. There's no experts in this school. There's no graduation from it. I mean, I'm telling you what, for me to stand up here tonight and act like I know anything at all about prayer, it makes me shudder because I don't know anything. But I tell you what I am seeing for the days ahead. Prayer is what God's saying to the church. I've had the privilege of preaching in 40 countries, and I can tell you this, that God is saying to the church worldwide, it's time to pray. It's knee time in America. Given the situation, it calls for a contribution of tears and prayer. And brothers, you got to give your burden to the Lord. you got to get rid of your burdens and let Him handle them. So you can live burdenless? No. So you can take His burden. He doesn't call us to burdenless, easy, little, little Christianette lives. He calls us to be men of God who bear the burdens of God and who walk in the fear of the Lord in our homes and in our jobs and wherever we are. So God says, we got to stop giving him our leftovers. Some of us are so tired that when we get down to pray, all we do is snore. I'm going to tell you something. It's better to fall asleep on your knees and spend hours of sleep on your knees than it is not to ever try. I've been in meetings where all the guys fell asleep. They were so exhausted from work. And I've seen God honor just the fact we came together, and it's been an awesome thing. It's exciting when his people start to learn to pray what God really wants to teach. Now, so we could say, every man, every one of us, Lord, teach me to pray. That's what he wants to do individually. Teach me to pray. It is the one calling that every one of us share. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a deacon. You may not be a mercy shore. You may have different giftings. But nobody in this room is exempt from the call to pray. You can memorize the whole Bible. You can quote scripture. It won't take the place of prayer. You see, and, but prayer is really who I am. And, it, and it's the test of the, it's the real discerner of the heart. And it shows where we really, really are. Everything in your church and mine that God has blessed, and I look around this church and I see so many blessings, I can tell you something, you can trace it to a kneeling form. Somewhere, somebody has prayed. We may, all of us, have a lot of things going on, but somewhere behind the scenes, some little widow, some little person, some group of people has prayed. All success is dependent on prayer. And you know what? Credentials of men don't mean a thing when it comes to prayer. 
We all come in, it's level ground. Whether you're a preacher, whether you're a, a beginner, whatever you are, we're all on the same kind of ground when we come before the Lord Jesus. You see, we've been told over and over in Scripture, there's a great day of reversal coming. It, it says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, right there when it says, it says uh, Paul says, I have laid the foundation, the gospel. You've believed on the Lord, and so take heed how you build upon this foundation. Believers, you're building into your life the Word of God and things. You're, you're, you're building something in the kingdom of God. So he says, take heed how you build. Whether it's wood, hay, or stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. And then Paul says, the day is coming that's going to test every man's work. As to what size it is. Is that what it says? What sort it is. What quality. What it's made out of. And he said he contrasts wood, hay, and stubble. And gold, silver, and precious stones. What does that mean? Well, I don't know all that it means. But I know part it means this. Wood, hay, and stubble are what you get after men are through working. Above ground busy work, all the things we do in our natural life. Gold, silver, and precious stones are the part that are made in secret. Under heat and under pressure like Job, I know when he's tried me, I'll come forth like gold, says Job. God knows the way that I take. And so he says, take care how you build upon it. See, God has a who's who. Did you know that? It's not the same as man's who's who. Many who are first will be last. Many who are last be first. Some people who have a giant building of wood, hay, and stubble, they'll come to that fire that'll test every man's work, and it'll be gone just like that. Some of you just woke up. I hope you wake up before that happens. I hope I wake up before that happens, because there are things in our life that we give ourselves to that are nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. And God says, listen, God has books. He has the Lamb's book of life, but he has other books, like in Malachi, a book of remembrance of those who fear his name and often call upon him. He has a book of idle words. You study the books of God, and it'll make you tremble. Every single sin of every single person of all the ages, no matter how small, is always going to be remembered, unless it's under the blood of Jesus. Every sin will be answered to the absolute uttermost. But see, God has books that write that down, the book of works. And those, those who aren't in the Lamb's book of life will be judged out of that book, and there will be no hope. But there's other books. There's the book of prayer. In, in, uh, Proverbs, in Psalm 56, it says, Are not my tears written in your book? Aren't they in your bottle? God sees those tears when you're alone in prayer. He writes them down, and he remembers, in fact, in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, when it says, verse 8, that the vials were opened, which are odors or incenses, which are the prayers of the saints. Think about that one. People say, what does that silence in heaven mean for half an hour? I think he's honoring prayer. And I think those vials there of incenses are those, those sweet aromas of all the little people that think their prayer... See, Genesis 4.26 is when prayer is first mentioned in the Bible. 
It's amazing how after Seth, they thought there was some hope, maybe the appointed one, but they found out he was sinful just like his father, and it went right on down until the seventh called Enosh. His name means incurably unhelpable. You might, that's just the way to say it, kind of, but it means, it means unhelpable. You see, and it has this phrase, then men begin to call upon the name of the Lord. Until I know I'm bankrupt. Until I know I can do nothing. Until I know that all I can do is shadow box. I won't really go to my knees. But brother, tonight, if, if, if you will realize this, that what God is wanting is for you to cultivate a relationship with Him in secret. And you don't have to begin hitting home runs. You just start bunting if you have to. But take time to be holy. Like the old song says, take an open Bible, bring an open heart, be honest with God. And remember that God's measuring stick of who you are is different than your brother's. He looks and he sees the heart. So there's a lot of people who are unknown to to men, but they're famous with God. The Bible calls them his hidden ones. He says he gives to them the treasures of the secret places, those closets. Those, you know, I think if the devil had ten atom bombs... He wouldn't drop them on the ten biggest churches in the world. He'd find the ten most powerful prayer meetings and get rid of them. He would. We don't see it like God sees it. But you see, I I could tell you a lot of stories about a lot of little people I've met over the years. There was a little lady in Cornwall, England. I went into a meeting late to preach. She was down on the front, and they were singing. And she had on one of those purple velvet suits with a little a veil, a little purple veil and hat and little wire rim glasses. And she was tiny and she was sparkly and she was up there with her hands and she was going like this, praising God. She had on hose with those big lines down the back, you know, that women today would be shot for they put on. And, uh, but, but she was down there and I looked at her and I said, Lord, that, she shouldn't be doing that in here like that. She was going ah, like, a, like a chant or something. And I said, that's disruptive. And the Lord said, I like it. <laughs> to my heart so I said sorry Lord and after the service I went over to her and she had a big big thing right here a, a button that said keep me burning Lord she was 89 years old and 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 they, she lived on the bluff of a hill right overlooking the ocean and people would line up outside of her house they told me to knock on her door they were waiting in the line to give her prayer requests because they knew she could get in touch with God that's a great thing, but I tell you something, you can get in touch with God. She just paid the price to do it. So, God, teach me to pray as an individual. Teach me to, to learn how to be a prayer warrior. And teach me this that nobody has ever been used of God consistently and any depth in the Bible or history who wasn't also a person of prayer. You might be like a meteorite whoop, across the sky, and then you're gone. But God wants to teach you to pray. But not only does he want you to teach you to pray as an individual, but God wants to teach us to pray as families. This is the hardest thing, it seems to me. Because when you have like five children like, like we have, uh, when they're younger, it's easier. When they're older, it's harder. And then as they get older, it gets a little harder. But I can tell you this, God wants us to pray with our families. And the greatest prayer team of all is the husband and wife. He'll do anything to keep you from praying with your wife. In our men's group, one of the areas that we had as accountability is that every man in this group is is looking to God to produce in him the ability to pray with his wife. I remember once our, you know, sometimes we're insensitive to our wives and they close up to us. 
emotionally. I did that the other day. I couldn't. And we've had a, my wife told me this Christmas is the best year of over 25 years of our marriage. And in front of the kids, she said that. And just the other day, I said something to her, and I felt her spirit just close up to me. I could feel it. And I know you know what I'm talking about. And I asked her to forgive me. But I'm telling you, if, if I hadn't have done that, our spirits would have stayed closed. And you can tell it when you try to pray with her. That one of our brothers went to his wife and said, we're going to start praying. You know, he's a strong guy. And she couldn't really do it because she felt intimidated emotionally because he had intimidated her unconsciously in everything. So he came to the group and he says, my wife having a hard time praying with me. And so he said, well, don't ask her to pray. Why don't you just pray for her? Ask her if you can pray for her for the next few weeks. Just, and you just lay your hands on her and thank the Lord for all the things about her. Some of you saying, now what would that be? You know? <laughs> and I would say to you, Maybe you should have gotten a wife like you deserve, brother. Yeah. For two weeks, he prayed for his wife, thanking the Lord for her every night. And after two weeks, she said, I want to pray because the wall came down that that was built up. See, husbands dwell with your wives in an understanding way as heirs together of the grace of life. She's a weaker vessel. God made her that way because he wants you to be responsible in your home. She's not weaker in the way you think she's weaker. She's weaker in the way that God wants her weaker, so you'll have to give your life for her. That's the way. She's, most women are stronger than guys spiritually. I want to know where the guys are that can sit down and talk about how to be filled with the Spirit of God or talk about sanctification or explain the Roman road beyond just a one, two, three. Most of us never read our Bible. Not really. Maybe just a scripture in the morning, but to soak in it like a warm bath. You see, Lord, teach us to pray as a family. You see, the family that prays together will truly, really stay together. The most powerful bond you'll ever have in your home is when you learn how to pray. There was a deacon in a great big Baptist church that came to me a couple years ago for counseling. He's a godly man. But he and his wife were having communication problems. You know what I mean, brother? I know you know what I mean if you've ever said anything more than hello to your wife. Because I'll tell you, sometimes it's just like beep, beep, beep. I mean, it's a different frequency. It's impossible. And see, God has it that way on purpose. I'm convinced. The world thinks it's communication on a physical level that makes a marriage work. And soon you find out when the tingles go, that doesn't work. And you go find somebody else to tingle with until they wear off. Then you try to get it on a soul level when man and woman try to relate mentally or emotionally or with the choices we make. But that's so different because a woman's soul is different than a man's soul. Can I get an amen? God has designed men and women, I'm convinced, so they cannot communicate unless they pray together. You see, if you pray with your wife, she will see your heart and she can put up with the dumbness that we all have as men. She'll say, oh, that's just the way men are. And she'll chuckle because she knows your heart in prayer. But if you never pray with her, all she has is what she thinks you're thinking. I'm telling you, prayer is the key, brother, for a marriage to make it work. That you come to your feet together at the tree of life, the cross, and every Adam gives his wife his, his Eve, the word of God, the fruit of the Calvary, and you eat that fruit and you live forever. I told this deacon he was having communication problems. They were ready to move apart. That's a bad mistake until they could settle it. So I told him all these things. Brother, you should pin love notes to her lingerie and, and all 
all these things, you know, about going to Victoria's Secret and all, and just love her, love her. On it. And then finally I said, Haynes, are you praying together? He said, well, I pray for her every day, but, but, uh, but uh, we're busy. She prays for me. I pray for her. Are you praying together? He hedged a little bit more. And then I said, are you praying together? He says, no, we're not. I said, forget everything else I said. You go home and you pray with your wife for the next 30 days, and you watch what God does. It was at a men's conference with about three times this many men that this man stood up and he took off his wedding ring with tears. And he says, I want to say something. And he held it up to heaven and he says, I want to thank God for saving my marriage through prayer. It's amazing to me. I was in a church in Tennessee. And uh, when I walked in there, there was a wall that had pictures of people that had been in church for 50 years. They were married. They were all up 70 or 80 years old. They're married people. And there was about 20 of them. I said, man, that is an amazing wall. They've been in church 50 years. Well, I've sat there and just looked and prayed and looked at them like this and just said, this is amazing. Well, that next night, the Lord just chose to drop on that church, and I talked to them about couples praying together. It was a couple's night, and so uh, that night the altar was full. And the next night, I I told them all to go back and pray together. And it was amazing. The, the next night, I noticed that little face of that lady sitting up the front like this, I mean, coming up, waiting to talk. And, and behind her was this guy kind of standing shy, kind of going like this, you know. And she's up there kind of talking to me like this. And finally, I go around. I said, hello, how are you doing? She said, oh, fine. We just wanted to let you know that last night after the message, we went home and we did it. And I said, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm serious. And, I mean, I, mean, I you have to give a guy a break. He doesn't know where you're coming from. I meet a lot of weird people in this business. But, but, uh, but, but she said, we went home and we prayed together. And I recognized their face. And he, by this time, he looked out and he was going like this. And they were on that wall over there. They'd been in church for 50 years. And I said, you went home last night and you prayed together. And you say, you've never really prayed together before. Not ever before. Can you imagine being in church for 50 years with your wife and never really praying with her? I know you can imagine it because for some of you dear brothers in here, it's that situation that hadn't turned into 50 years yet. But I tell you, if you don't get anything else from this meeting tonight, you know, I want to say to you, if I'm not praying with my wife, I'm not right with God. I can be blessed. He can be blessing my business. He can be blessing my preaching. He can be blessing my children. But if I am not praying with my wife, I'm missing something that God wants me to truly know and experience for my family, and I need to get right with God. So I would say tonight, you ought to get on the telephone if you need to and call your wife and ask her to forgive you for not leading her in prayer. And you'll find that if you'll say, would you find the time that we could pray together, she'll be getting out her schedule on the phone while you're talking. You'll hear pages wrestling. Yes, sir, I'll be happy to. Yeah, I mean, it'll happen. And it may not happen that easily for some of you. You may have to go home and ask your wife to forgive you. You may have to take care of some things because if the devil can keep you from praying together, he can pray on your family. I remember I used to go in, my son Paul's over there, and he and Ben would have a room, and, uh, and they were in the single beds, and I'd come in there at night and lay on between their beds on the floor and put my hands up on their heels and pray for them, and they didn't know it, maybe not, not even till now, and, and they'd be tossing around up there in the bed, and I'd say, get them, Lord, I'll change their heart, you know, it's just an awesome thing, just praying for them while they sleep. My wife, she'd be a, she's, a, she's a morning person, I'm a night person, at 12 o'clock, I'm like this. And so she's gone to bed. 
I try to come in later, you know, and I'm going to pray for her, but the lights are gone. Here's the night light. Here's the clock. Here's the different things on. And uh, so, so I'm walking in, and it's like landing at Hartsfield at night. You know, you come in, and you come over by the bed, and you, and you kneel by your wife while she's asleep. And do what Job did. Put the blood of Jesus over it. Like the father in Exodus 12, the father took the blood, and he put it over the door. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Just what Job was saying. Lord, remember the blood of the Lamb. And I put it over my children and over my wife. And Satan, you destroyer of families and men, you can't come in here anymore. One night like that, really waiting before the Lord, you'd be amazed. I had a man come to me for counseling about his daughter who had run away. What, he, what could he do? She was up in Oregon. And as we talked, it turns that he was basically a prayerless man. And he repented of prayer and of being prayerless. And something else in his life that was keeping him from ever getting along with God, he was ashamed because every time he ever got along with God, God would point out the pornography. So he didn't get alone and pray. He just kind of prayed publicly and tossed it in. Well, he got on his knees and he confessed. He confessed that before God, and he repented. And you know, it was within three days that his daughter got a ticket and came home. And you know, the moment she repented was when he repented and got on his face and pled the blood of Jesus over his daughter. The umbrella was back. The hedge was there. She came to her senses in the far country. I'm telling you, you have great power. And praying together as a family is an awesome thing you're learning. I mean, I don't know anything what that God really wants to do more than teach our families to pray. I mean, from my earliest years, when before Paul was ever born, Jonathan, who was about probably six and a half, Elizabeth was four and a half, and Catherine was about three. And, uh, and we would always get a map of the world at, in those days, and I'd lay it out on the floor. And I would read them about a country from that great book, P.T. Johnson's book about Operation World. And we would pray about this. Now, Elizabeth, who's going to be, I'm telling you about here, she's now about 20, almost 26. So this was a lot of years ago. She was, but she had gotten saved at the age of three. You say, is that possible? Well, she wept over her sins, and she asked the Lord Jesus in her life. It was spontaneous, and we saw her life change. She was regenerated at that age. So she was involved in learning to read the Bible, even at that age. And so that night, I was telling them about Ethiopia. Some of you might remember about uh, probably about 22, 20 years ago. Maybe Gerald remembers that. I don't know. But uh, when they were put a perimeter around Ethiopia to keep out food, they were going to starve out genocide, all the people that didn't agree with the communists. And it was an emergency worldwide, and so it was put out to pray. And I remember telling the kids, I said, tonight we're going to pray for Ethiopia. It's interesting that on two different occasions, I was in South Africa on 911, and a man from Ethiopia was down in South Africa, and he told me he remembers just like yesterday what I'm about to tell you happening. And then in Knoxville, just about a year ago, I was there, and a member of the Ethiopian parliament was there. And she came to me, and she told me, I remember that, just as clear. And she started weeping with what I'm going to tell you next. Because I told my little kids, I mean, I mean a six-year-old, a four-and-a-half-year-old, and a, a three-year-old, we need to pray for Ethiopia. Let's put our finger on it on the map. And so we all got around and put our finger on, on it, and I'd given this big elaborate thing about how they're going to, they're starving in Ethiopia and all these things. And so Elizabeth says, well, Daddy, doesn't Father God have all the bread in the world? And I said, well, yes, he does, Elizabeth. Well, why don't we ask him to send bread to eat to Opa? 
He will do it. And it was just, it was so simple. I mean, all complication was just so simple. And I said, Elizabeth, you lead us in prayer. You do it. And you have to know Elizabeth. Some of you here do know her. But she, she even at that age, she said, she put her hand on her hip like, this is going to be a cinch. <laughs> I mean, you know, and she put her finger on Ethiopia. We looked up like this, and she began to pray. And she says, Father God, Daddy says they need bread and eat the opa. You have all the bread in the world. And, I, and as a father, think what I'm going through. I'm saying, hallelujah, this is good. I'm running down the road with her, believing God. And all of a sudden, she, here's where she leaves. I fall off into a ditch, and she runs on ahead. She says, and Father God, we want you to do it right now. And you know what I prayed deep inside? I wouldn't let it out. If it be thy will. <laughs> you know, praying something, because that's kind of a disclaimer sometimes. What I just prayed, I don't really believe. I don't say you can never say that, but sometimes we say that, and because just to kind of disclaim everything we've just said. And so she got through praying, and I said, Elizabeth, what a wonderful prayer. I'm so proud of you. And she said, thanks, Daddy. And I gave her a hug, and I thought to myself, please don't let her be disappointed. And as she walked off, I was praying for her, saying, help her to understand these things. She's just a child, Lord. She doesn't understand all the things involved. Forty hours later, I was waiting for a friend of mine that was a doctor to have lunch with him, and he was seeing his last patients. And I picked up a newspaper, and on page two or three, there was an article that was surrounded in heavy black line, unusual, and it caught my attention. It said, largest shipment of bread in history gets into Ethiopia. And I go like this, and... And I remember, I said, no way. And I looked at it, and it said the time that it went through the border. And I did the tabulation for the time zones, about eight hours. I think it was nine hours. I can't remember which it was. But it was a half an hour after Elizabeth had prayed. And I just said, no. And the Lord said, yes. And except you learn to trust me like that. And the things that I say in the word of God, you lay hold of with a pure heart and a true heart, not because you're just trying to be somebody special, but for the purpose of prayer. Some people think we pray in order to make our Christian life easier or better. But one day we're going to see that God gives us the privilege of living a Christian life before him in his presence so that we can lay hold of him in prayer and plant the heavens and lay the foundation of the earth. That's what he wants. You see, we pray in order to li- we live in order to pray. Because that's what God wants. And that's why the price of purity is there. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will. What a great thing tonight if you would go home and uh, on Saturday. Don't go home tonight. But well, go home if you live here. You know what I'm saying. Don't leave. Call your wife. Whatever it takes to say, Lord, teach me to pray as, as a family and, and repent of prayerlessness. If that's the only thing that really happened to anybody this whole weekend, which I'm sure it isn't, it'd be worth the whole thing to start praying with your wife. Teach me to pray as an individual. Teach me to pray as a family. Oh God, teach me how to pray the way you want me to pray together with my wife, with my children, but teach me to pray as part of your church. Do you know that in this room, There are spinal cord representatives of churches that are all over the place. And I am very, very sure that prayer is often the weakest element of most churches. But God is stirring, and a lot of the troubles that are happening are to drive us to prayer. And it's it's fitting that a group of men would go back and say, we're going to learn how to pray as a church. Because when Jesus built his church, 
I will build my church. What do you say it was? My father's house. This is how you'll know them. They're called a house of singing, preaching, witnessing. All those things are good. I'm not minimizing them at all. But the way that the people outside will be drawn is that they see these people are in touch with eternity. I told a group of pastors in Melbourne, Australia, they were there, it's actually in Murray Bridge, there were, there were about 23 of them there, and I talked to them about, you really want to witness the way the Lord wants you to witness? You find five praying deacons, if you can, you find five praying deacons, and draw them together, and, and get out a clipboard, and pray for the people around your church, in a half a mile radius around your church, or a mile radius, and then you go out there with a clipboard... And knock on the door and say, we're not here for your money. And we're not here to even try to get you to come to church. But we believe God has given us a responsibility for our neighborhood. And we wonder if you'd trust us to pray for your family. We won't bother you. We just want to pray for you. Some doors will slam. Some people will begin to weep and say, my mother, would you pray for my mother? And you write it down. You bring it back. And you get down before God with men that pray. And you really pray. God will give you scripture. You write it down. You can go back and say, we believe the Lord gave us this scripture for you. How's it going? We're praying for you. You know, three of those pastors decided to do that the next year. And their church, each one of them, tripled in membership that next year. I sometimes, when I go to a church, will come and knock on the doors in the neighborhood around it. Because I want to know what we're dealing with here. And I say, tell me about this church down the way. Oh, I, I'd like to know. And some of them say, oh, they got a great softball team. Or they park on my yard. <laughs> or the other day, one of them gave me the finger. I've heard that. I've heard that. I'm serious. I'm, I'm being real here. I've only heard one time, boy, they, they do a lot of praying over there. I admire that. But what would it be like if they saw the church on her knees? You see, when he built his church, it was a praying church. In the book of Acts, it was a manifesto of prayer. That's what it was. Forty times it mentions prayer. The church asks, the spirit acts. And it's an amazing thing. It was like an army that went forward on its knees in the toughest resistance of ever, the Roman Empire. And they brought that empire to its knees. You go through the book of Acts in the first five chapters and find out how many times it says, with one accord, with one heart, in one soul, in one place. You see, the word saint is not even in the singular in the New Testament. Did you know that? Because God wants us together. Do not forsake the assembling together. And if we would begin to say nights of prayer, and I mean, I, I could give you a dozen examples of churches who've had all nights of prayer, and they've gotten addicted to it, and it's changed everything. In, in, uh, down in southern Australia, there's a church called uh, Blackburn North. They were a great church. It's the flagship church in all of southern Australia. They had about 1,200 members. That's, that was big. Anywhere else in the world, that's a pretty big church in a country that's in, the, in that kind of English-speaking world. That's a big church. And so New Year's Eve, I spoke to them. They asked me to talk to them about prayer. And the several hundred people, maybe 400, came. The rug was wet with tears. They were repenting. And the pastor now, this church had had about four splits in the last three years. He had a heart problem. They just discovered cancer. He could only work two hours a day. He was a dying man. And the church was just wilting. And the church then was on its face, and he comes up. He could barely walk. He pushes me out of the pulpit, and he says, We've heard this before, but we've never acted on it. 
what we're going to do. I'm going to be here. You know I can't do this physically, but if it kills me, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be in the sanctuary every morning this next week from 7.30 to 8.30 for whoever will join me. Join me for prayer. I went to Adelaide and called him at the end of that week after speaking, and he said, we had 100 people that came all week for prayer, and it's so good we're going to go the second week. And so I went home, and after that, the second week, I called him. He said, oh, it was so good. God is beginning to move among us, and things are happening, and we're going to go the rest of the month of January. I said, fantastic, brother. And he said, and by the way, we've added a half an hour on both sides, and it's two hours now. We're going to go every morning for whoever will come. Hundreds are coming. At the end of February, I called him. Oh, I, I didn't tell you they're going to go another month. He told me that. We're going to go another month. Great. At the end of February, I called him. He says, it's so good. We're just going to go another. Uh, we're just going to go the rest of the year. At the end of the year, their elder, the head elder, they have elders and, and deacons in this church. He wrote me and he says, dear Al, glory to God. Prayer has rescued our church. Once our pastor was a dying man. Now he is, he is so full of energy, we have to beg him to rest. He is, he is unstoppable. He was dying, but now he's been raised before our eyes. The committees now have quit dreaming up ideas of what to do, and now we're waiting before God and saying, Lord, what would you have us do? Once we, our budget was failing, now it's thriving, and souls are getting saved, and it's all because we've become a house of prayer. I could give you a dozen examples of churches like that. When the church says, we are going to learn to pray together. When you get together and pray, it's a difficult thing sometimes because, you see, we don't know how to do it. Somebody will pray like, and it's just, you're just sitting there, they're going, because, because you can't hear. We've got to learn how to pray together. Brother, take time to learn. Make a decision when you go back to your church to say, I'm going to find other men who are willing to learn how to pray. And we're going to see God move in our church. That early church understood that the real battle for souls was not salesmanship. It wasn't an information exchange. It was a spiritual battle. And every single inch forward spiritually would be resisted by a devil who hates your church and hates everything you stand for. But in prayer, we fight from victory, not for it. We can take the spoils. We take this. S.D. Gordon once said, prayer is the winning blow. Service is picking up the spoils. We just go out and pick up what we won in real prayer. Well, the prayer meeting is the heartbeat of the body. And out of the heart flow the issues of life. If you want your church to come alive, learn to pray. You'll find out this, that prayer is not just a ministry. It's the ministry. And the test of any church is its prayer ministry and its mission outreach. That's the test, not how, how, how it looks. So the question we have to ask is, in our own life, have I allowed the committee meeting in my life to force me out of the prayer meeting? And so go home with that. Tithes can build a church. Anybody can build a church building. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not even worried because I'm not, I'm not even thinking about this church or any other church, but any one of our churches, we can, Coca-Cola can build a new church building. I mean, anybody can, but see, only tears will bring it to life. Tears, real prayer will bring a church to life. The devil's not intimidated by anything we could ever put up. But when we start praying, I'm telling you, he is absolutely petrified. Are there men in this room tonight that God could use to restore prayer in that church or in that family?
You see, when that happens, I'll tell you, the devil becomes hysterical. Prayer put back to its right priority. That's what he wants. Old Dr. Jowett, a missionary to the Hebrides, he said, he said, if, he, he taught preaching. He said, if I could teach 10 men, I'd, I'd rather teach 10 men, to pre, uh, 10 men to pray than 10 men to preach. And, and someone said, Dr. Jowett, why do you say that? You teach preaching. He says, I know I teach preaching, but you see, what you don't understand is teaching and preaching the Word of God only reveal the will of God. Only prayer can lay hold of it. See, we have churches full of people who hear great messages, and they say, I agree with that, but it's like going to the mall and window shopping, and you see all these things you want. We, we have a knowledge of it, but we don't have the experience of it because you have to pray that truth that you hear into an experience of the church that's around you. And this is why it says there are people that are ever learning but not coming to a real knowledge of the truth. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So without, without prayer, you will find that there'll be no <gasps> in your church. Do you know what I'm talking about? The kind of the... <gasps> God is here. That surprise when you sense God's majestic presence. When you talk about the presence of God, His His essential presence. I mean, of course God's here. Whether can I flee from His presence? He's there. We talk about His cultivated presence. That's when you in the Bible and you learn and, and you have prayer and you have that. But there's His manifest presence. And this is when God's glory falls. And we call it revival. And, and, the, and the nations tremble. And the community says God has done great things for them. But see, God withdraws His manifest presence from a church when the church or the people in the church, like Achan, tolerate things in the church that are contrary to the Word of God. And when God withdraws His glory and His manifest presence, you know what the church often does? They have all kinds of inventions to make up for the lack of the manifest presence of God, to substitute for what the manifest presence of God would be easy. Forty years, they dug stuff out of the ground with picks and shovels. Then Nobel discovered dynamite. and Boom, in ten seconds, he could take more out of the ground in ten seconds than in 40 years of digging. And when the glory of God falls in revival, when the church gets a vision of real prayer and real repentance again, God's glory will fall and the manifest presence of God will get the attention of the world around. And they will beg to know the Lord. What must we do to be saved? Like the book of Acts. That's what will happen. But we've got to deal honestly with our hearts. We've got to become men of prayer. And that's what God wants. If this was something far-fetched, it might be one thing tonight. But God longs for every single man, bar no exception, to be a man of prayer and to have victory in this area in, in your life when you leave here. Master, why could not we cast out this evil spirit? Don't you know this kind cometh out but by prayer and fasting? Does that mean God rewards prayer and fasting? I don't think that's what he's talking about. You're shadow boxing. You don't even know what you're fighting against. Prayer gives you discernment to where you realize you're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against an invisible foe that hates your guts, but he's defeated. And if you get them together in Jesus' name in an abiding place, two men in a church that are in real agreement and consistent prayer can change a church. Two men can do it. God yearns to spend time with you. Well, we're, we're ready to walk out of here in about eight minutes, but I, wanted to give, I want you to pay attention to me one little last bit because, you see, when you come to the Lord 
You don't have to impress him. You don't have to, you don't have to make him think, oh, he really knows scripture. It always helps to pray scripture because you know it's God's will. But you don't have to impress God. He, don't come with enticing words of men's wisdom. But you come, as it says, don't, don't come. You just come with a broken heart. You may have no words at all. It's better that your heart have no words than your words have no heart. You don't have to have all string and scripture together. I, you know, if, if my son and I were out walking in the woods and all of a sudden when he was little, a rattlesnake rears its head up at him and goes, Dad, Dad, a snake, a snake. How many of you think that I'd say, son, I told you to use the word reptile? <laughs> now, I'll rephrase that. Without, I mean, would we do that? Or do you really believe that daddy will help you when you call? Do you believe me? No. I don't care if he doesn't believe me. I don't care if he uses snake or some, a horse. I don't care if he calls it the wrong name. If I, I'm going to leap over that that ditch, and I'm going to stomp on that snake till he looks like mud because that's my son he's messing with. And that's the same thing as your heavenly father. He's not looking for you to learn all kinds of phrasing. Oh, Father, lead God and direct us and forgive us of our men and men of sins and for all these many blessings. We'll be that quick to give you all the praise and honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Open the window. I'm not, I'm not mocking that. But I am saying this. It's better to be taught by God to pray than by man. And there are plenty of us who all we do is speak phrases we've heard from others. He wants you to pour your heart out before him. And your heart may have no words, but you pour it out. He wants, he wants to give you triumphant prayer. Sometimes all you can do is just, just lay before him. When we were really young, Catherine, who's now 23, she was just, we have a missionary friend in Singapore. And she was trying to enter in. We were praying for this missionary friend. We'd pray over and over. And Catherine would say little words. Little kids at three don't care what you think. And she's sitting there and she's closing her eyes. And she said, send Molly red dress. She wants to bless this missionary. Send her a red dress because Catherine liked red dresses. So she said, send Molly a red dress. And, and then she'd go. She's thinking real hard. And I'm over here trying not to burst out in hysteria because it's so cute. You just want to squeeze her till her eyes pop out. But I mean, I mean, but she's just so cute. And then, and then she'd say some other specific requests and she'd say after she said it. And that went on for several days. And she'd say something and she'd stop and she'd go. And it's all I could do to keep from laughing. But then I heard that God sent Molly a red dress. And then I heard that these things happened specifically. And I said, this is really weird. But maybe there's something to it. I got alone. I said, Heavenly Father. (laughs) It didn't work for me. Because prayer is more than moving your lips. Prayer is looking at your heart, brother. And the credential for prayer is you're a born child of the king. It's not how good you are. You get what he deserves. And when you're in harmony, I mean, all you have to do is be weak enough and true enough to what he's shown you of yourself, which is that you're nothing and he's everything. And that's what he wants you to live in that brokenness. And when you get to the point of real brokenness, that's what God was after in Job. When God wanted to write a book about repentance, and that's what Job's about, really, not just suffering. It's about repentance. When God wanted to write a book about repentance, he took the best man on earth. I'd write him about Jack the Ripper or I hate to, Bill Clinton, I hate to say it, but I mean, or something like that, I'd say, repent. I mean, I could name a lot of people, so I don't take it personal, Bill. But repent, um, if you hear this. 
I would take the, the, the worst person I could think of, the most needy person, and say, repent. But when God, but see, then another person say, well, they need repentance, but I don't. But when God writes a book, the first book, the oldest book, Job, whose name comes from a deep Arabic repentance, an old one, an old cement root, a shemit root. Never mind. You know, it's a root in the Hebrew that means repent. I'm running out of time, and what happens is my, my mind runs ahead of my mouth, and that's a very dangerous thing. When God wanted to write a book about repentance, he took the best man on earth and reduced him to nothing but God. And you see Job's captivity turned at the end. You'll see it. He's been captive the whole book to what? Himself. My righteousness. 187 times you'll see him say, I, me, and my, in those middle chapters saying, what's wrong? He's looking at himself. And finally, finally, he gets his eyes on God. And God says, now pray for your friends. And when he prays for somebody else, his captivity is turned. And everything is twice as much in his life after that because he learns to pray and live for others if all you want to do when you pray is get your needs met oh you need to go further learn to lift your family to the lord learn to lift your church to the lord learn to lift your own life to the lord and tell him what you really really think if you say lord i don't want to be with you today i'm sick and tired i'm mad at you tell him he can take it (laughs) dare to get along with him and tell him that lord i'm mad at you tell him that and you know what he'll say to you but i love you precious and you're a fool to be mad at me that's what he'll do. He's, he's able to take it. Well, it's not a speech we make. It's not, the, it's not a language we have to cultivate. It's the language of your heart. So I wonder if, if, I just want to ask you as we leave here tonight, how is it with you and your heavenly father? Do you realize that prayerlessness is not just a mistake? The Bible calls it sin. And until I deal with it, as God calls it sin, until I call it what he calls it, I can't really be overcoming it. I've got to confess it to him. I've got to say, Lord, I'm prayerless. Forgive me. It's a, it's a grievous thing against you. It shows I don't know you. I've been trying to witness, but witness precedes witness. I've got to be with you. To say, be with me, Lord, is to, is to admit you've lost the presence of God as your consciousness. He said he'd never leave you or forsake you. I don't need to ask him to be with me. I need to ask my heart to be with him. I need to spend time with him. So, so I wonder if you could say tonight, Lord, would you rekindle the fire on the altar of my heart? It's grown cold. Teach me how to pray. As an individual, for my family, for my church, uh, Lord, no more excuses. I've been blaming everybody else, but I'm going to quit blaming everybody else, and I'm going to take my own responsibility, and I'm saying, teach me to pray. Lord, I want to be available to you. I'm going to make time. I'm going, to, I'm going to cut my calendar to pieces, and I'm no longer going to rob you of time in prayer. So I just want to challenge you tonight before you go to sleep to get real with God. If, you have to, if you're with a bunch of guys, go out and take a walk. Get on your knees out under a bridge or wherever you can where you won't get mugged. But you, just, you, you, you go out, and you get alone with God, and you look up and you say, Oh, God, teach me to pray. Have an honest conversation with Him. And you know what you'll hear? At last you've come. At last you've come. I'm no longer going to rob you. I want to be honest. I want to confess to you. You could say, Lord, simplify my life. Break me. Reduce me to the thing that really counts. Whatever it takes, I'm going to trust you. Well, not a lot of practical points about how to pray. But that text says, teach me to do do it. You know enough 
See, it's inspiration and motivation to dare to act on it. You got to decide. You know, the, the truth is, the last thing I'll say, every man in this room is just as spiritual as he wants to be. I'm right where I want to be with God. That's why you got to keep pressing. Keep pressing. You've chosen, I've chosen a certain comfort zone. God says, break out of it. Press in. Seek my face. Keep pressing in. And you'll discover that you, there's enough left of God to learn that you'll feel like you just got saved all over again when he finally starts really getting your ear and heart. Well, let me pray for you. Let's go. I, I just appreciate so much you men being in here tonight. And you've been great listeners. There have been some of you in awkward positions sitting on the floor. But I'm telling you what, I believe the heart of God is blessed that this many men would say, I want Lord to pray. Teach me to pray. Could you pray that in your heart? Let's bow before him. Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus, who is the perfect picture of intercession, we ask you to bring us into a fellowship with you of prayer. May we learn about prayer. Teach us how to pray. Yes, but teach us to do it, to act on it, to be available, to surrender to lordship, to prune, to be broken, to let you simplify us. Teach us to look at our troubles and our needs as calls to prayer, to know you. And would you encourage that one in here tonight who needs to call his wife and ask her to forgive him? Would you honor that communication and would you establish altars of fire in homes fiery altars at the cross of men and women praying for their children. Lord, would you tonight turn some men back to prayer so that children will feel the impact of true godliness in prayer once again and raise up some churches that are known as a house of prayer. We can't do this on our own. We don't even want to try, but we're trusting you. It's what you want to do. You've called us to this. Now may we say yes. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you. Let's show Al how much we appreciate. One housekeeping note. Just so you know, tomorrow morning, the breakfast snack is at 7 o'clock, and it is a snack. So uh, if you're a big eater, eat, eat before you come. The first session is at 730 History shows that only about 70% of the guys here tonight will show up for that first session. Decide tonight that you're going to show up for that first breakout session at 7.30. So thanks for, thanks for coming. Thank you. Excellent, Al. That was really good. Really good. Praise God,
I drove him. Yeah, yeah, probably be a good idea then. <laughs> That's great. I enjoy that. I'm a member. Is uh, Dale Griffin still in the church? I know he's Dale. He's Big, heavy. Yeah. Big, tall. He's not fat. Just a big guy. I don't know. I know who you're talking about. He's been so many people. Yeah. Oh, really? I don't know. When's the last time I've seen him? So, um, We had uh, John, uh, John, 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 young man, 24 years old. He came over here. in the seminary. John? Wilmer last week. Did a great job. Is that right? And you're you're the one from Mobile. Yeah. Okay. How many are up here from you with you? We have 17. Yeah, I just got back from Venezuela, 22 years overseas. Is that right? Thanks for your help tonight. Okay. All right. Thank you, Brad. What was your name? Mark. All right, Mark. Look for you tomorrow. All right. Are you really? I'm going there in 2007 with uh, you know Harold Peasley. He was the head of the bank of Greece closing. I'm going, I'm going over to do a free, free meeting in Bethany's Forum Church. When are you there? Uh, probably in Johannesburg.
Archer, we've requested that we're going to have a, a little talk section with our guys because we don't have a conference center at the okay. motel. Just talking about what we've gone through here. So I just wanted to know that's why they're coming in. They're not, okay. they're not getting a second dose of you. you know? <laughs> You're going to do a late session. Yeah, we're going to be here till midnight. Yeah. Good. You're welcome okay. to it. All right. Where are you guys from? Morristown, Tennessee. Hey, Al, I, I need to scoop, but I'm going to. Well, that's a church in Tennessee. They're just having a little summer. Oh, oh. He's probably here. He preaches up the storm. Is that right? This is a hard to